You are listening to Justice for All, a podcast brought to you by the law offices of Scarpello and Latour. Each week, our experts provide insight on topics involving the law, entertainment, and sports. And now, without further ado, put your hands together for the host of Justice for All, Josh Scarpello and Pierre Latour. All right. Thank you and welcome back. Wow, what a what a crazy two weeks it's been, Pierre, since we last hit the airwaves. I mean, I'm not sure what else can go wrong. But first of all, welcome back to Justice for All. I'm Josh Scarpello alongside Pierre Latour. Pierre, say hi. Pierre, can you say hi? Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, yeah, I mean, the last time... Yeah, last time we were broadcasting was uh, Memorial Day, and obviously we've got a lot to, uh, a lot of stuff has been going on in the country in the last uh, two weeks. And we're, um, we wanted to talk about that today. I mean, there's been, obviously in the wake of the, uh, the, the death and killing, let's face it, of George Floyd uh, at the hands of a police officer and the subsequent protests and in some cases riots, but mostly protests that have happened across the country. It's just been a remarkable couple of maybe 10 days, however long it's been. Uh, as, a, as a person, you know, Pierre, you know, you and I are both white guys, grew up in the northeast section of the country and went to private school and have a certain background. Um, I spent the last 10 days or so just mostly listening. Um, we wanted to at least have some conversation because we – are curious as well so we're we are happy and lucky to be joined today by our friend riley ross uh, attorney at the and partner at mincy fitzpatrick ross a philadelphia law firm riley ross welcome to justice for all thanks for having me guys good to see you good to talk to you it's been a while now full disclosure uh riley is also um one of, we are competitors year in and year out in a fantasy football league me, him, and Pierre. We're not going to let any of that heated rivalry that we have affect our opinions today, are we, Riley? No, not at all. Not at all. And uh, the fact that I have yet to win the league will not uh, not come out in 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 my voice here, and no resentment held. Not at all. Well, you know what? Well, we all have a lot of faith in you, and I'm sure you're, we're going to have big things out of you in fantasy football in the years to come, Riley. Um, is joining us today as an expert in, you know, his law firm uh, specializes in civil rights and criminal defense. Um, he practices in Philadelphia, both in federal and state court, and he's he has many cases against the, the police involving police as witnesses. Um, so we wanted to ask him on here to get his perspective about the topic that I wanted to talk about within this whole thing, which is police reform and what can happen. Now, Riley, I'll also put you on the spot and let everybody know that you're uh, African-American, you're a father. How many children do you have? Two kids? Two kids, a nine-year-old son and a five-year-old, five, soon-to-be-old, uh, soon-to-be six-year-old daughter. I guess my first question is how do you feel personally in the wake of all this and, and how do you, you know... Have you had to answer any questions from your kids? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's been heavy. I mean, this has been, 
you know, we are about two weeks into this. And, uh, so my, my thoughts and my, and, and my, um, my feelings about it have, have, I've gone through a, a, you know, a grieving process, I think, um, you know, where it's not, I'm now, I'm now in the action mode. I'm now in the, let's do something about it mode where I've been through the, the shock and the disbelief and the anger for sure. And, and even the grieving, um, yeah, it was from the start from watching, uh, the George Floyd video, um, that was, that was something. I mean, and I think that it gripped me like we're seeing it grip the rest of the country where it's just, you know, this is a little bit, this is above and beyond kind of the, the things we've seen before. Was I surprised? Not the least. And, and the fact that I wasn't surprised by that really hurts me as well. And, um, and the, the, but the anger that comes with it, with the, you know, the fact that everyone saw it happening, the people standing there, white and black, if you saw the video, there's, a, there's a, a white woman who's an EMT who knows what's happening, and yet the police don't do anything about it and uh, but see it unfold. And, um, you know, it just really, it was just another another thing that, you know, you mentioned my, my kids, I have a nine-year-old son, and it was just another thing that, that you know, made me say, like, ah, I got to have that talk with them way before I want to, you know, with the Philando Castile happening even uh with mike brown happening those all raised questions when do i have to kind of break this this kid's kind of uh you know dispel his belief that that you know and, and introduce him to the ugliness of the world and uh and this was the one this is the one where i had to have more of those conversations i've had some of them building up to that and, and in fact my my son his class took a trip to ellis island uh before covid happened mm-hmm. i was a chaperone on that trip and so in connection with what his school was studying, we started having some talk ourselves about slavery and the history of it all. But, but this was different because this was, you know, the effects of, of, uh, I believe, you know, the lingering effect of slavery that are still being borne out today. And, uh, but more importantly, you know, I had to talk to him about how to keep him safe and hopefully because I, I know for a fact that I, I can't, I can't a hundred percent keep him safe. And even though he may not be doing anything. Um, so yeah, so I had to have that conversation with him and, and it, and it, and it started with, you know, just the, the idea of protest and why we stand up for others and why we speak out for others. That's a, that's a theme that's always been in our house. Uh, there's a, you know, my, my kids have signs on their walls that my wife has made that, that say speak up mm-hmm. and we teach them to speak up for others. My wife is, is, is a is a law professor at Villanova, which you guys know, and uh, she teaches police misconduct and she teaches uh, civil rights in the Constitution. So she, this is this is this is uh, this is the kind of discussions we have in our house all the time, anyways. Yeah. But the protest really was able to show why we speak up for others and the fact that um, you know, really these protests actually made it a little easier to talk about the fact that some people may view him. Di- differently because of the color of his skin, but that, that person gets held responsible for it. It doesn't convey to all people who may look like that person who's viewing him differently. Right. And we can look at it, the protest and see so many different shades of people that are, that are protesting and that are saying they're in favor and that they believe black lives matter as evidence of, you know, this, this is not a, just a black 
white kind of issue where white people think a certain way of black people. There's some in particular people who think this way of, of blacks, and, and unfortunately, it's not always just white people who think that way. Well, uh, I think uh, it's, you know it's funny. I think it's so it's so polarizing. It just shows you how polarized we are still in this country. I think with race. I mean, Philadelphia's a great city, and there's great people, um, uh, you know, of both races and colors of all kinds that get along with people. But there's 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 also a lot of people that are out there that are racist that have, um, you know, feelings that you know that that for some reason that they they ally themselves automatically with police and the police side. I guess my question to you is, Riles, like, what what do you think as a father makes it difficult for people to accept the fact that a, an institution like like policing could be biased? You know, you see it in your practice and in your life. Like, why do you think it's hard for people in some portions of America or even in Philadelphia to to sort of ignore the idea that like this can't this doesn't go on? This is an isolated incident. This guy was asking for it. This guy did something bad. You know, and why are they so quick to, to line up behind the blue? I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, uh, well, so right now my daughter is, like I said, she's five. She'll be six next month. And my daughter wants to be a police officer because that's what, you know, we grew up believing that police are the good guys, you know, they and the good women. I mean, obviously, and, and that's, you know, we grow up playing cops and robbers and, you know, that still happens. And, 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 and my, my kids are, are like, you know, that's you, the police officer, someone who wants, who wants to do good, you know, who's there to do good. And that's the belief that we have. So unless you've had some, something to shake up that belief, that's, that's how you live your life. If you, you know, think about like the last time you've called 911, most people will have to, you know, they, they're not in this situation where they're dialing 911. Uh, on a on a anything that looks remotely like a regular basis, and so their encounters with the police are probably few. And and if they are if there are encounters, they're probably pleasant. And whether it be you know in the store, in a coffee shop, uh, you know they're not getting pulled over and having these interactions. If they are having the interactions, for the most part, they're probably good interactions. So you haven't had anything to dispel that belief that you've grown up with. Um, only and then once you have an incident to dispel it, it's really easy to compare to say to single that out and say that's the only that's the only that's that's a rare occasion. That's something that you know there must have been a reason for it. If they just complied, uh, it would maybe it wouldn't have happened. You know, there's and so when you're talking about asking someone to kind of dispel that, you got you're up against all of that history that comes with it and that, and that really that, you know, we're, we're kind of born into because of this belief that the police are there to protect us and, and are the good guys. Uh, so I think that that, I think that that's one of the reasons. And, 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 you know, we, in, in my practice, I have to run up against that a lot. Like people who, if I have an officer that it's the credibility determination comes down to it, uh, is the jury going to believe the officer or my client who is either a defendant or a plaintiff uh, alleging wrongdoing you know, most times they're going to believe the police officer because they hold them in that regard. Right. You're right. I mean, everybody's a product of where they came from. I, I like to tell the story of like first starting at the DA's office. I grew up in Northeast Philadelphia with a lot of these Philadelphia cops that you see on, on TV, went to high school with a bunch of them in Archbishop Bryan. And, you know, you are a product of where you come from. I, I came from a liberal 
household with, you know, 10 brothers and sisters, but I went to a school basically with a private school um, in a certain area where people were, a lot of their fathers were police officers and firemen and people that worked for the city and had the utmost respect for everybody. And then, you know, as a young person, you don't even realize how that shapes, you know, and of course going to a school where it's not a diverse school, there's there's probably one or two people of color in the entire school. That has effect on me as well. Well, you know, when you fast forward and you go into the DA's office the first time and you read some of these police reports and you interact with police officers and you hear about these, you know, you know, the, the way police officers, these nickel cab rides that they give certain people and then you hear about, you know, these shocking stories of the way people live in certain neighborhoods and poor neighborhoods. And I just remember the feeling of how, you know, you know, when the first time you hear those stories, they are humorous you know because it is it feels like you're talking about an alien world does that make sense i mean like you know it, it's tough to acclimate yourself to somebody else's plight i think at first when you're surrounded and you're grown and you're grown up i guess i'm just trying too hard to find an excuse for the opposite side but it befuddles me how the police in this scenario can't just drop their guard and say you know what we can't have people dying you know in public this way because we use force we can't in any way justify that and say there's an excuse for that and i just i wonder why there's so many people that are just so hotly divided when it comes down to human life that's just my thought on the whole thing pierre what do you think you've been you've been conspicuously well i'm I'm gonna make one point right here i think what you've seen in the last couple of weeks which i thought has been very interesting is that some of the worst police departments that you've seen with the most egregious, and I'm talking about cops wading into essentially peaceful protests, people who are unarmed, people who are not throwing things and, you know, striking people with batons, shooting them with rubber bullets. We've seen some of the worst uh, offenses coming out of New York City, out of Philadelphia, uh, out of Minnesota for a while, but then out of L.A. and out of Seattle which I think is, is funny because you look at those, you look at those cities and what are they? They're largely, they're large cities with, you know, liberal politicians are the most liberal mayors, liberal governors running them, but they have these police departments that behave that way. And what that seems to tell me is that the leadership of the actual police department is what is so important and kind of controls everything. Right. And it's a mentality that seems inherent in certain police departments. And I would single out the Los Angeles police department and the New York city police department where, you know, it, it, everything rots from the top down. Right. I mean, you saw mm-hmm. um, the head of the LA police department gave a press conference in which he said that the blood of George Floyd was on the hands of the protesters as much as it was on the hands of the police. Yeah. And Shocking. I don't understand. I don't understand how the how the mayor of the city at that point didn't fire him live on TV. Right. But I think what you see is, you know, it, it's too simple an argument to be like, well, there's good cops and there's bad cops and this and that. I mean, yeah, that's true, but it, it, it's an organizational problem, right? And if 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 it's kind of like built up in your organization and reinforced that this is us versus them mentality, mm-hmm. which I think you have in a lot of the police departments that have problems, Philadelphia being one of them, as we've seen in the last couple of days where, you know, a a an officer who spent 30 years for the force 
is caught on video essentially, again, beating a defenseless protester. And when he surrenders himself, there's a hundred cops out there giving him a standing ovation and they're selling T-shirts in support of the guy. That's got to tell you there's something wrong with your leadership. Right. And, you know, how do you go about fixing that? And that kind of leads to the next question I'd ask Riley is uh, it's a kind of a two part question. I want to ask Riley, like, do you really think that we've reached now a tipping point, right? Everybody's been kind of using that for a tipping or a tipping point now. Now, now something is really going to change. And to, and to play devil's advocate, you know, I'll say, listen, you know, we're all old enough. We've seen this before. We saw it with Rodney King in the 90s. We've seen it, you know, in Ferguson. We saw it with um, Freddie Gray in Baltimore, where there are these outrageous acts by the police and whether they're either killing or injuring innocent people and people get upset and there's protests and there's a big thing to do. But in the end, right, what what really has changed? And the answer is nothing. And now people are saying, well, no, no, now it's different. Now it's different. It really is going to change. So I'll ask you, Riley, do you think we've reached a tipping point? You know, the short answer is no, um, no. because there's no there's no reason for me to believe it until I see it because of the, the exactly what you just said. There are, it's, it's too much of us seeing small changes that seem big, but it's only because of the, the, the fact that, that there's been nothing done at all. So when you, when you have a little small change, then that seems monumental. But the thing is, we're still just trying to get back to, to, to the starting point. We're just really just trying to get to the starting line. Like this is, we're just really trying to get to basic human, uh, just basic care for, for constitutional rights right. and, and to, and just to have a basic sense of, 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 of uh, compassion and empathy for another person. That's all we're trying to get to. And and the thing about it is that you can get swept up. I can get swept up in believing that this is going to, I, 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 I ask the guys that I text with, is this different? Because now I'm seeing, you know, I turn on my, my, my Amazon fire stick and all of a sudden there's something that says black lives matter. We, we support, you know, black lives. Right. And, and I'm like, wait a minute, that that seems different. Well, yeah, but is that just really just the corporate corporation saying like we got to jump in on this? Um, but you know, five, six, seven years ago, it was very controversial for anyone to say Black Lives Matter, and now you have Amazon doing. Now you have it, it's being shown, you know, in between my 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 programming on 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 you know the TV station, you know the the, the Fox TV station. It's not Fox News, but the Fox TV station is putting up Black Lives Matter in in between commercials. Does that what is that going to result in? I, I don't not enough, I, I would I would think, because it hasn't been enough yet. And and Pierre, you hit on, you know, this us versus them mentality. And that's that's one of the things that, that's at the root of this, I believe, you know, is that warrior policing where police are 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 meant led to believe that this is a situation where the most important thing to do is go home at night. And so it's an us versus them thing. So you've got to approach this as if this person over here may be uh, out to harm you. And when the policing itself is so exaggerated and, and and so overwhelming in primarily black and brown communities and low economic communities, then if that's the mentality going in there, then the, the, the interactions that happen between the police and the people in that community are not going to be positive. You know, and, and, and that's that's going to create a problem because of this us versus them mentality. And you have so many police doing so much policing in those neighborhoods. It, it's that's what's going to happen. So 
do I believe it's good? Do I believe that it's different? I think it's different in the sense of I'm seeing more people. Uh, I'm seeing people who were skeptical of Black Lives Matter, a Black Lives Matter movement five years ago, now fully embracing it. So I guess that that's different. But do I think do I do I think it's going to lead to real changes? I, I want to wait and see on that. I know that there's a lot of things that are moving quickly uh, on the books and being proposed, and and uh, and I hope it does. But but I'm I'm going to be I, I need to to be weary and, and even to see how those new proposals may even shake out. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Rouse, about uh, you know not that not that we're we have the answers to everything here on this, but um, if you know, for a list of changes that maybe that you would implement or want to implement. But I guess understanding your point that we're not going to snap our fingers and, and change people's opinions and thoughts overnight. What's one area of change or, or one thing that you, that you would hope would come out of this, you know, whether it's people's perceptions about black lives matter or just some practical thing, you know, no more chokeholds well, or, or every, every time there's four shoes, it has to be documented in, you know, and, and so people can see it, you know, there's something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, don't get me wrong. I, I don't want to come off as a nothing's going to, when I say change, I guess I meant in, in the police and how they approach this and even how people who right. are, right. you were, you were mentioning Josh, people who don't believe that, that, you know, believe that this is an isolated incident. How are they going to, are we going to change them? I do believe that this has, uh, I do believe that it's important for, people outside of the police community to, to change their minds and, and their, and their, their views of things. And I do believe that that is happening. I do believe that the conversations that I'm seeing that people are having on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram, I do believe I, there's nothing that, that can't be bad. Right. When people are talking about, Hey, how can I, how can I be an ally? How can I, um, you know, I, I may not understand what you've gone through, but I, but I, but I want to stand with you. Like that can't be that can't be a negative thing. That's got to there's got to be some positive comes out come out of that. I got some points where I'm I'm like you know I'm I'm tired of people asking me you know how am I okay and 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 how can I can I help and that's not a good that, that's on me if I'm getting tired of it I that's great that's great that that I am getting so much that I'm getting overwhelmed by it. Um, that's that's got to be a positive. Uh, but as far as what do I want to see change for, first of all, I want to see those, those conversations continue because, um, because there are people who can affect change through that hold actual power or will hold actual power as they grow into their careers and, and, and their, you know, and their, in their lives change on the, on the real front on, you know, legislative change or policy changes. Um, I think that the policing you know how we do the policing. So right now we have this this movement of defunding the police. Um, first of all, it's horrible, horrible marketing. Yeah, got to change. <laughs> they got to change the name yeah. of this thing because it's not what it sounds like. Right. It is. And and listen, I'm on I'm on the uh, I'm on the I'm on a few boards, but one of the boards is the ACLU, and and uh, and I and I think that you know. They, they, they're, they're pretty heavy hitters, and I'd like to see them get out front of this thing with regard to changing how, how we're talking about this. Right. Um, right. I mean, I got to be honest with you, Riles. That, that, you're right about that because I don't think you could phrase that more polarizing than what it is. Like, we're so well, – like, let's defund right. them. Like, to me, that's like, let's give them the death penalty. Let's, let's just cut them out and, and 
It just, right. yeah, I think there, I think they, there needs to be messaging on that. Absolutely, and 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 so what it what it really is is is, is talking about asking the question. First of all, do we need to spend as much money as we do on policing? And when you look at how much money is spent on policing versus how much money is putting to and it's put into other infrastructures such as education and healthcare, especially in those communities where the, the most policing occurs, there's this imbalance that is so great that something should be done about it. So when they say defund, there's the, the issue is that like, can we take away money that's been being spent on armored tanks or armored vehicles right. and put them more into education and especially in the communities where the policing is occurring? Um, it doesn't mean disband the police and let every, but you know, cause people, when people hear that, I was talking to someone today, he says, when I hear defunding the police, I think of the purge. I, I, I mean, like, look, no, I, 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 I think it's important. We're having this conversation. Right. Yeah. yeah you're going to, you're, it's, you're, you're playing right into the hands of the people that you're arguing with because they can go on TV and be like, look at these lunatics on the left. They want to, they want to, I've already seen, I've seen it on Twitter being like, oh, they started with, you know, let's disband ICE. Now they want to disband cops. It'll be total chaos. And, and you need to get the message out there. Like you said, first of all, you need a different, got to stop saying to fund the police, but people aren't aware. I just saw this the other day. Do you know what percentage the Philadelphia police to budget is of the Philadelphia city budget? 40%. It's got to be large. No, it's got to be large. 40%, we'd be burning the place down. No, it's 15%, but it's the largest item in the budget. 15%. I was trying to Google it just now, what the budget is. But Philadelphia's budget has got to be a billion dollars at least. So 15% is the largest item. That goes to the Philadelphia police. Number two is the fire department at 6%. So the Philadelphia Police Department is the largest budget item in the city of Philadelphia, and it's three times more the second largest item, right? And that's to your point of like, I don't think people, I mean, like, listen, everybody's for having a police force. Nobody's saying get rid of the police force. It's having, it's like, let's have a competent, well-trained and fair police force that doesn't get an unnecessary or unequal share of money going towards it at the expense of other items like education or treating or anti-violence programs. And I just don't think, I mean, I didn't even know. I've been like, you know, I've lived in the city for 20 years. I've been a prosecutor. I've been a defense attorney. I had no idea until yesterday that the, that much of the budget was taken up just for police. And then God forbid, if we ever found out how they broke that down, right? How much of that is right. going to police overtime where they're sitting around in the courthouse, not testifying or to some type of like SWAT vehicles that they're never using anyways, right? Yeah. Right. That's right. Listen, I I uh, I, I came here and, and I moved here from Virginia back in 2006, and I was like, I remember driving, remember walking around and be like, what is that? What is that cop car doing there? You mean that cop car? That cop is being paid to just sit there and make sure no cars go down this road while somebody is. Changing a sign? Are you serious? That's what they're doing. Yeah. And 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 Pierre, you mentioned before you talked about the the uh, you know the power and the leadership and that being a big part of the problem. And we can't talk about the problems of the and especially the attitudes of the police department without talking about unions. You know, and how much how yeah. much uh, role it has. You know, because because from everything from um, you know having control over who's, for instance, you know the fact that they can sit there and sit in a car all day and, and watch, you know, and block traffic or, or control traffic to what happens to the officer who actually commits a, a, a abuse of force 
and then remains on the police department because of collective bargaining, because of the agreements that they have and how hard it is to fire a police officer, even if the chief of police wants to fire the, the, the police right. officer. It's, it's, you know, tied into the unions. Again, something else that I was not really aware of before moving here, and I've been practicing for for almost uh, for, for seven or eight years before I moved to Philly, and I never come in contact with, with uh, a city that had so much control over it run by the unions as I did Philadelphia. But, you know, when we talk about other things that, that, that are necessary, the policing itself and how, how, uh, how much policing is done is something that needs to be taken a look at. I give the example, we talk about the, you know, you can't talk about crime without talking about, um, you know, how many people are the overcrowding of prisons. And you can't talk about race without talking about the overcrowding of prisons. Mm -hmm. And um, you can't talk about that without talking about policing. We know that the majority of um, the, the, the prisons are filled with people who have uh, drug convictions. Right. And especially when you talk about federal federal prisons, um, which is I primarily do criminal de- federal criminal defense work. The majority of them are there for drug crimes and people, you know, believe that, well, you know, one of the defense to saying, you know, well, we shouldn't focus on the overcrowding of, of, of prisons. When you talk about, you know, blacks being representing the majority of prisons, people believe, well, maybe that's because black people commit more crimes. And what it, what it really means, though, is that black people are arrested. On, at a higher rate, right. and they're arrested at a higher rate because they are they are policed at a higher rate. You can set up a a, a police action, and this is what happens: you, you you set it up on a corner in in an inner city neighborhood, and you watch drug transactions happen all day, and you record them, and you build up a case, and you say, "Well, there was a drug, and and I see a crime happen, and you know you could go arrest them right then and there, but you don't. You you, you let them set up shop again tomorrow, and you allow them." drugs and and maybe you maybe you send a, an undercover officer in there to buy it to purchase drugs or you send an informant in there to purchase drugs and then you build a case and you build a conspiracy and then you say well i sat out there and watched you sell drugs for a month and over that course of a month we sent in an, an informant and he purchased drugs from you and he purchased you know a quarter of an ounce each time mm-hmm. so we're going to add up a quarter of an ounce for each day of that month and we believe based on other guys who are in your conspiracy that you've been doing this for the past year and a half. So now the law allows me to say that drug quantities that I saw you sell for over the course of the month, I can now go back in time for the prior, for the, for the, for the year that you've been in conspiracy. And I can, I can add up all that drug weight and now bring charges against you mm-hmm. for that full amount because you're in a conspiracy. And now instead of, you know, you going to, to, to jail for the small amount I saw you sell, you're now going to jail for this big amount that I've now been able to, to, to charge you with for a conspiracy. So you're going to jail for a very long time. Um, and, and that's, and that's based on the policing that's done. Well, that drug, the drugs that were, that were transacted on any given day, if the police were the same police were to set up shop on a college campus, or if they were to set up shop outside of a trendy nightclub strip in any city where there's a bunch of nightclubs lined up along the block, Mm -hmm. I, 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 I bet you that you would see just as many, if not more, drug transactions, hand-to-hand transactions, or at least, drug, at least drug use. But that's not where the policing happens. If the policing did happen on a college campus, you would see a lot more arrests. Mm-hmm. And because the majority of people who are on any you know, given college campus, unless it's a historically black college, are, are white. So you're going to see 
the majority of people being arrested white. And you're going to see if they allow that conspiracy to happen and, and them to extract you know, and, and to add up the weight, you know, over the course of months and then make it a conspiracy and go back in time and put that weight on them, they're going to go to jail a lot longer. So it's not that blacks are committing more crimes than whites. And in fact, we know that, that blacks and, and whites actually use at least marijuana at the same rate. Uh, and in fact, some drugs whites actually use uh, at, at a higher, a slightly higher rate than blacks. You're going to, you would see that the, it's not about blacks committing more crimes. It's about them getting, being arrested more and they're being arrested more because of how we decide to do the policing. Are you so, saying then, Riley, that we need what? Less policing in certain neighborhoods, more programs in those neighborhoods, a combination of both? Is it just, are we being too subjective in, in, in the neighborhoods that we choose to police? What's the answer? Yeah, so, so a while back we thought that community policing was going to be a good idea because mm-hmm. it would bring police in more contact with the community that they're policing and therefore they would, they would be, get to know each other and trust each other more and build up a relationship more. Instead, what we saw happen and what we saw happen in New York, and what we saw happen in many places is that that community policing, then putting more police in that community, gave them more opportunities to make more arrests. And so all of a sudden things started becoming more criminalized that they maybe really shouldn't be criminalized. Right. I mean, things from everything from jaywalking to loitering to disorderly conduct, those types of things that, that you know, are nonviolent actions that are on the books are, are criminal acts now are being policed that you could really go into any other neighborhood and, and start policing it if you wanted to Maybe having less police or at least less policing in certain neighborhoods. And, and here's the thing. We know that it works because it happens in middle class suburbia. It happens in middle class white neighborhoods where you don't have police on every corner. You don't have police, you know, setting up shop or, or walking down the, the corner and telling kids who are gathered on the corner to get a move on. You know, it, there's less policing going on in other neighborhoods, and and it and it's successful. It's you know, crime is not running muck there, and but it, there's I think that there's a mentality of people saying, well, we don't put police there, crime's going to run amok there, and and I don't think that that's true. Right, and I think you can't you you can't um, you really can't uh, underscore enough the the effect of an arrest, a conviction, on a life for a young person. Um, it could set you back you know, for your entire life, you know, on top of everything else that you're talking about. Um, so more policing in more areas, especially with, for minor, relatively minor drug selling cases. Sure. It's going to affect the, the people that are being policed in all those ways that, that are disabling, that are, you know, ways that set people back and for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And it's not just, it's not just the, it's not just on the street. It's in the schools too, you know, I think we have too many police in schools that are, you know, we the prison the pipeline problem where 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 significantly more black and brown kids are coming in contact with the criminal justice system uh, through police being in schools, and uh, and that's a problem as well, uh, you know, and and so so that's one of the ways, you know, I think that that's one of the things we have to look at. Uh, other things we have to look at, which are more uh, that are probably less, I guess, you know. I don't know. I was going to say exoteric, but I don't think that's the word I want to use. But kind of more hands-on with reform uh, in line that you would think of reform, like like oversight committees, and you know there there's a there's a push now, and and this is what I was saying before about things moving fast. But right after uh, Mr. Floyd was killed, you had a group of legislators and um, 
uh, Philadelphia Council people, um, Philadelphia defender Keir Gray, uh, a couple of lawyers, one, one being one of my partners, Kevin Mincy, and also Kevin Harden. They all got together on a Sunday and did a marathon session coming up with legislation proposals. And those proposals, I thought they were very smart because it wasn't just let's do this, but they actually went to different areas of power and said, here's what you have control over, therefore here's what you can do. So they looked at, they gave up specific, they came up with specific proposals for the governor. They came up with specific proposals for the mayor, for city council, for uh, for uh, for the legislators, you know, statutes, and they had things that were within their purview, within their power to change uh, to bring about police reform. And one of them I thought was good would, would be a uh, the governor to designate someone who would have the authority to actually oversee uh, and go in and investigate police misconduct, uh, to designate the state police to keep a, a database of all police misconduct across the state, and, and therefore, and even to, 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 to be able to, one, uh, have a have a record of this police misconduct. So if one officer is fired from somewhere else and they want to go work somewhere else, uh, someone could look at this database and before hiring them to find out what problems he, he or she may have had in another town or even another state. Um, so I think that those proposals, which Mayor Kinney actually just came out with something, I believe just yesterday or the day before yesterday, adopting a lot of those proposals, at least his, 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 his version of it. Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh mayor, even though these were kind of Philly-centric proposals, at least from the council, and the mayor, the, the the mayor of Pittsburgh has said he uh, they want to, to to buy into some of these proposals, and so I think in the, the fact that you have I think 15 legislators that were part of this with working group, I think you're going to see some 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 uh, bills introduced that are that are going to try to bring forth some of these proposals pretty quickly. Yeah, and I think in those yeah. in, in that regard, the, the protests, at least in Philadelphia, you could say they worked. I mean, you know. They got the attention, got and, the and hopefully it will, will lead to real action because that's what. Yeah. I mean, maybe we're not at a tipping point, but we're at a we're at a bubbling point, man. I mean, people are pissed off and well, want now, change, and I think sometimes I, the problem, it, yeah. you have to have things I, like I this happen real before issues, real change happens. I think the. I mean, I the, my issue is is that I think the only way you see real change is that you literally blow up the police department. <laughs> Like they did in Camden. I mean, there's there's a whole stories yeah. out there about how Camden and seven years ago had some of the same institutional problems that Philadelphia had. And literally what they did was they just dissolved the police department. They completely dissolved it. They reformed the police department without a union. And now I think there was a stat like can't like over the last five years, violent crime in Camden is down 75 percent. Um the, the community's belief and, and, and faith in the police is up, you know, it's double what it was, but they've turned the whole thing around. And I think I know that at least in Minneapolis, I know that the city council, there's the there's reports saying there's enough votes on the city council to do the same thing in Minneapolis. And that there was another report today saying that the police chief was somehow going to distance himself from the union. I don't know how he does that, but I, I literally think you need to like destroy the whole thing and start over from scratch. I mean, in a perfect world, I think what you would do is fire every police officer tomorrow and then make them reapply for their job, right? And then say, but you can't do it, obviously, with union protection. You can't do that. But I think that's the only real way. I think it's it's nice to have all these, you know, proposals to say, okay, don't use chokeholds. You've got to use, you've got to wear a body cam. You've got to do this. you got to do that. 
But we've all experienced this. We've all sued the police department mm-hmm. and various other police right. departments. And we see it all the time. By the way, we sue the 95 percent of the time when we we get a client who walks in and says, the police beat me up. The police ran me over with a car. The police, you know, shot a taser into my face or something like that. These cops have never even been disciplined, right? I mean, normally what we get is, I mean, most of the times people are afraid to file a complaint with internal affairs. 99% of the time when a complaint is filed, what happens? The officer is cleared, right? And no, not founded, they're completely cleared. So we're, when we're suing the police, what happens? The city ends up settling the, the case, again, most of the time, but nothing happens to the officer. And even if it does, what are they going to do? They're going to get desk duty for six months or, you know, maybe desk duty for a year. And then they're quietly rehired because of the arbitration system. So, yep. you know, like Riley yep. pointed yep. out before, is that in, until you can somehow defang the power of these police unions, I think that whatever external changes you impose on them, they're going to resist and they're always going to find a way to get around it. Right. You know, you can have a new chief of police like we do in Philadelphia who is an African-American female from a progressive city like Portland, Oregon, she can come in and say all the right things and, 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 and have press conferences and say, oh, we understand and things are changes. But, you know, when you have a McNesby as, you know, the head of the FOP out there, you know, attacking everybody and saying, how dare you arrest one of our own who's caught on video beating somebody, you know, you know where this is going to go. It's going to go, you know, and they've already they've already announced that, like, oh, he's suspended with the intent to dismiss. You know, unless something dramatic happens, I guarantee you that guy never gets fired. Right. He'll be yeah. back on the force. Or he'll retire with a pension in a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you. I mean, Pierre, you hit on so many good things like McNesby. I mean, who, he was the one walking out first. You know, when you yeah. talked to before about you know, the, the the everyone giving this guy uh, an ovation for striking someone. I'll tell you this though. Um, first of all, if, if you want, if, if there's a chance for change, now is the time because we have we have sandwiched in between. You know, with the protests, we have on one end we have a, a, a Temple student, uh, uh, white, who was struck on camera in the head very violently, and you have this in Buffalo, 72 year old man who was a uh, white male who pushed down, uh, bleeding immediately on camera. Police wouldn't even help him. One guy bent down and, and was pushed along, didn't even help him. You, you saw that both of those officers walked either out of uh, walked into either out of a courtroom or in or for self surrender to applause by their by their fellow officers. The white Temple student, the white elderly man. Um, that's something that a lot of middle aged white individuals with power with influence those who you know we josh you were saying before who don't believe police can do any wrong Mm -hmm. that's the demographic they have connections to both those sides they have parents who are that age and they have kids who are in college now they're seeing the police cheer for individuals who who they've seen with their own eyes harm both of these individuals and that if there's a chance to change anything it it would come out of that will it happen hopefully but the thing about it is, like, you have someone like McNesby who, you know, just will go on and just will defend, you know, and, and not only just defend, but 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 with with such ugly, distasteful words, you know, calling oh, yeah. people. He's rabid. at war with everybody. I mean, that's right. what I don't like about just, you know, he's at war with everybody. And 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 he's not going anywhere. And 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 the thing is, it's, you know, the, the power you have. And you're right, Pierre, these, these officers don't get disciplined. Oftentimes they get promoted. 
Um, and but they keep their job. And you know, across the country, studies have shown. My wife has actually written about this and, and published an article about this. Is that you know you go around to you can find in a lot of police departments that like a very small percentage, meaning just a few officers, are costing cities like millions. And it's repeat yeah. offenders. They're not being fired. They're sticking around, and they're 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 continuing to do it again. And they get sued. The city gets sued again, and, and millions and millions of taxpayer dollars are going to pay for the actions of a very few officers. Now that doesn't mean that that's the only they're the only bad apples you got to get rid of them because for all of those officers, all of the incidents that they've done, there've been reports that have been written that I bet that at least two other officers are signed off on that are backing right. that up, backing up that version of events that aren't saying anything, that aren't doing anything about it. Uh, and it's, it's, it's systematic. It is, I mean, that's a systematic problem that, that needs to be dealt with. Yeah, I, I think the one game changer that might be contributing to a tipping point is just the the omnipresence of video these this, these days, right? I mean, I think 10, 15 years ago, I mean, I even, I used to, you know, say it all the time too. I mean, I, you know, some you'd hear a story and you'd be like, I don't know, that, that couldn't have really happened, yeah. right? Because it sounds outrageous. And then I think especially, I mean, from my background, even like you're talking about people like my parents, right? Like, I think there's a lot of white America out there that's like, well, you know, these cops are good people and these, you know, these are criminals. They're making this up. They never happen, right? And if a cop says it didn't happen, then it didn't happen. But now all of a sudden, I mean, you know, we all know this. Almost everything in the world, it seems like, is on video, right? Somebody's got a camera or they're going to find it or the Internet's going to find it. And I think that's what is kind of leading to the tipping point because you can't argue with video, right? You can get up. McNesby can get up there early once and say, oh, he hit him in the shoulder, hit him in the shoulder. It wasn't that big a deal. The video is the video, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing about George Floyd. That video was the video, right? There's no... There's no more graphic and brutal video that lasts nine minutes with a cop kneeling on a guy's neck while he's saying he can't breathe. And I know there's been videos before, but now it seems like on every case there's a video. And it's kind of, I, I do feel that's the one thing that might lead to the momentum to really get real change is that now everybody is seeing this happening. It's not a he said, she said type of situation anymore. It's like, there's the video, make your own decision. And there's really only one yeah. conclusion. Riley, yeah. would I you mean, like to see? That, would you like to see all police officers wear a body camera at all times? Um, when it when it was listen, I was I was the champion of it when champion of it when it was introduced uh, after the uh, it may have been Michael Brown, um, but Obama was you know pushing forward for for body cams for everyone. I thought that, that was we a lot of us in, in that do our work do what I thought we thought that, that would be a game changer. Um, listen, it can't hurt. It can't hurt. Uh, I mean, the only the actually the only way it can hurt is that it's more surveillance of, of citizens because you know, it, and, and so from that standpoint. But uh, but it doesn't it doesn't it's not effective because officers turn them off, right? And they turn them off and they don't get punished for it, and they blame it on you know malfunctions and the thing and, and the like. Um, however, there are some cases that that where it has happened. To Pierre's point though, on the video though, is that you know the cynic will say. Pierre, you start off by saying, you know, the first, you know, the first thing that kind of set this thing in motion was Rodney King. Rodney that King, was, right. Most of my favorite videos of all time, right. Yeah. And, uh, but, but it is changing and it is changing. And, 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 you know, the younger people are, are having more mistrust and they're demanding better and that they're having conversations in their house with their parents about, you know, you don't, you don't understand. And, and, um, 
and and that's got to have some effect on it as well. But but yeah, police body cam. I, I used to be back by a police officer. Like, what if that video never came to light? What if what if what if no one was ever there to film George Floyd? Like, it would be you know this guy was being arrested and he was unconscious and and and, and probably you know the, even the autopsy report was at odds with the family's own autopsy report. You know they didn't they didn't even blame it on asphyxiation. It was it so so without the camera. I definitely don't want to go back to, to, to no camera. The camera is, is, will definitely help. And now we just need to get more cameras and, and having people really believe, you know, what, what their eyes are telling them. But, you know, unfortunately we have a, we have, we have a, you talk about leadership, Pierre, we have a, we have the, the, the highest leader of, of our country who routinely tells us not to believe what we see. And that's a problem. Right. right. That is a problem. That is a problem. Well, Riley Ross, we've kept you on the line here for a while, and um, I appreciate your time. Um, I appreciate having you as a friend and being able to talk about issues of race and you know and politics and stuff, which are not easy. And I appreciate your candor. Um, yeah, thanks so for thank having you me. For, thank yeah. you for having now me. Now wait, now no. wait. We're not done with you. <laughs> We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when All we right. return, okay. Riley Ross of Mincy Fitzpatrick Ross, Philadelphia law firm specializing in civil rights and criminal defense. He's going to join us. Can we have a quizzo after having a serious social issue type conversation? Pierre, is that appropriate? Uh, well, I don't know if it's appropriate, but we're going to do it. <laughs> well, we're going to do it anyway because I think Riley's game. So we'll be back in five seconds with Riley Ross. After these messages from Jose Pistolas. During the quarantine, Jose Pistolas is offering a simple menu for a simple time. Go to josepistolas.com and check out the simple menu. Whether you are craving burritos, tacos, nachos, or beer, yes, beer, curbside pickup and delivery are available. Call Jose's today at 215-545-4101. Jose Pistolas, serving the community and satisfying cravings. That's 215-545-4101. Okay, we're back here. Justice for All, special guest Riley Ross, attorney. Mincy Fitzpatrick Ross has been joining us um, for the better part of the last hour talking about the death of George Floyd, the protests, police reform, racism. Um, we're really happy that he can stick around and uh, join us for hopefully the less serious part of the program, the quizzo. Now, Riley, you are, uh, of course, I'm sure probably a fan of the show. I'm sure you probably listened to us at least once or twice before you came on. But if you're not familiar with the rules of Quizzo, I will briefly review. There are five and only five questions. When I say that, most questions have multiple parts to them. Each answer is worth 10 points. You are to keep your write your answers down on a piece of paper. I will ask you four of the first five questions, and then we will reveal the answers, and then you may use your total points in the final quizzo portion um, for uh, the Justice for All t-shirts as well as the Justice for All 
um, masks. They're not. Um, <laughs> They're not COVID uh, proof. What is the what is the what is the terminology? They they don't meet. They're not medical grade, but they right. will have our logo on them. That's what we're planning uh, for today. Not a Riley, do you understand agency the agency of the government that's approved those masks? That is correct. That is correct. Doctor Fauci himself has looked them over. Um, Riley, are you ready to play Quizzo? I am ready to play. And Pierre, uh, Pierre has. You know, Pierre is really one of the all-time greats at Quizzo, but he's coming off a rare loss. And if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to the college basketball Quizzo at the end of yeah. Coach Chris Mooney's appearance. Um, oh, by the way, appearance. that was a Quizzo where I was going up against a guy who played D1 basketball that is currently an NCAA Division One basketball coach, okay? None of which I have done. Did I mention he's been to every Final Four since 1990? Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. And the, and the topic was NCAA basketball. He's got a great job. He gets to go to the Final Four every year. Not this year, but he gets to go every year. Okay, well, many of you know uh, Riley Ross as a noted attorney, civil rights attorney, criminal defense attorney, friend of the show, Justice for All. Did you know that he and Pierre also share a similar rooting interest <laughs> that's, not true. that's not true anymore, not, not anymore. Podcast. i had a feeling this was going to be this <laughs> the theme for today's quizzo in honor of our special guest riley rost is the best all-time dallas cowboy playoff losses <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> oh wow all right, right. are we ready? This, Josh, before we get started, because I don't want your <laughs> listeners to be... I am no longer a Dallas Cowboys fan. I haven't been for a whole year since Jerry Jones took the stance that any player that knelt for during the National Anthem would be, would be benched and or dismissed. And when he did that, I had had enough of Jerry Jones. I didn't like him and how he treated Tom Landry to begin with, and so I'd always just kind of tolerated him. But for the work that I do, that was enough to make me no longer root for the Dallas Cowboys. So just so we're clear on that, um, I am not a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. However, I was a longtime fan, and so I know their history, and I, and I can hopefully beat Pierre on, on this quiz. And it, it'll be like beating Fred from the Howard Stern show. And as a quick aside, it just, it just occurred to me that we've had three guests now on the podcast that all change their allegiance in, in the NFL, on their NFL team. <laughs> Billy Smith was a Broncos fan that is that now is an true. Eagles fan. Rich Bobby was a Jets fan that is now an Eagles fan. And Riley was a Cowboys fan that's now an Eagles fan. But I will say this. Riley is the only one who has a legitimate reason under the fan code of conduct to switch allegiances, Right. Billy and Bobby were just jumping on bandwagons and being like, well, Bandwagon what the hell? Jumpers. Right? Yeah. yeah. So I, 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 even though Riley and I used to root for the same team, I fully respect and acknowledge his right based on Jerry Jones, who I'm not a fan of, but I remain on the Cowboys, you know, bandwagon. We, well, that disclaimer is noted. <laughs> and uh, I, I think it's implied that as soon as Jerry Jones dies or sells the team, Riley will be right back there as a <laughs> Dallas Cowboys fan. <laughs> We shall see. Now, we shall see. We shall see is right. Question number one in best Dallas Cowboy playoff <laughs> losses quizzo. 
in 1982. Dallas. Now, you know Dallas. I think they have the all-time record um, in, in terms of appearances in the title game. I think it's like 14 or 15, Pierre. That's what I, I thought was interesting oh. researching. Yeah. Anyway, 1982, they did not win this game. Dallas appeared in the NFC title game against the Joe Montana Montana-led 49ers. Trailing 27-21 in the fourth quarter, they had third down and three on the Cowboys' six-yard line. Montana scrambled right and found this tight end in the quarter of the end zone for the game-winning score. The play was famously known as the catch. Bonus, as a bonus. Bonus, question, bonus question should be, who was the cornerback covering him for the Cowboys? Mm. That that would be a good one. Maybe if you want to ask that to submit that for extra credit, but that will not be the bonus question here. Ah. Bonus question. Who was the starting running back for Dallas that day? All right. Question number two. In two thousand and six, the NFC wild card game. Dallas was trailing 21-20 to against the Seahawks. The Cowboys lined up for a 19-yard game-winning field goal when the holder, this holder, fumbled the snap. I can just, Who was I can that just, guy? I can just imagine you giggling like a schoolgirl while you researched this giggling. and looked at, like, YouTube posts. <laughs> yeah, the clips, the clips, I mean, he must have, he must have spent... Hours rewatching these clips. This was the best research I ever did for one of these. I just really enjoyed. So many great losses to choose from. Oh, and there's so many dumb articles on like best Cowboys, you know, worst Cowboys playoff loss ever. It was like top ten. All right, as a bonus, I think we all know who the holder was. Who was Dallas's kicker that never got a chance to hit? That game-winning field goal. Question number three. The following year. This is a bad run for that holder. In 2007 divisional round, Dallas lost to the New York Giants at home after going 13-3 and and locking up the top seed in the playoffs. The Dallas quarterback referenced in, in question number two. They had a bye the week before the game. He went to Cabo San Lucas with this pop star. Pop star. Music, pop music singer. I thought you were going to say teammate. Well, I thought so some I. teammates were there too. I remember yeah, that, reading that article team, and it was pretty funny. Yep. <laughs> There's a pop star involved. You don't. He took mm. his pop star girlfriend. Let me put it to you that way. Pop star oh, girlfriend. You're giving him too much, Josh. Too yeah, much. That was oh too much. God. I mean, this is like with my kids. All right. Bonus question on that one. Who was Dallas's coach that year? All right. Question number four. In 1981. The Eagles, your Philadelphia Eagles, defeated the Cowboys en route to the Super Bowl. In the first quarter, this Eagles running back opened the scoring with a 42-yard touchdown run. Who was it? 
he's relayed. It's a layup for an Eagles fan, but we'll see how the Cowboys and former Cowboy fans do. As a bonus, name the Eagles starting quarterback that game. That that you should get. You want to hear his line, the Eagles starting quarterback from that game? He was nine for twenty one nine for twenty nine for ninety one yards and two two interceptions. That was a pretty typical line for that guy. That was in the <laughs> NFC title game, and they won the game. I think okay. it was also about eleven degrees outside for that game, right? Yeah, and they they also rushed for two hundred fifty yards yeah. in the game too. So that's where it all it all came from. Okay, for here, let's go back to for the reveal questions now. Number one. 1982, Dallas appeared in the NFC title game against the Joe Montana-led 49ers. This is a famous play, the catch. This has been, this has been documented many times in many different uh, videos and documentaries. Riley Ross, who was the tight end, number 87, caught the ball in the back of the end zone for Montana. Dwight Clark. That is correct. Dwight Clark. That's 10 points if you got Clark as a bonus, Pierre. Who was the starting running back for Dallas? This is a really good question because I don't know because I'm pretty sure Dorsett wasn't on the team anymore, but I'm at a loss, so I've said Tony Dorsett. I'm hey, sure that's Tony wrong. Dorsett? Tony Dorsett. Are it's remarkable sure? when you look oh. at those teams. How long Landry coached the team, for one. He coached the team forever. Yeah. yeah. And then, like – Danny White is the quarterback for a long time, and Dorsett's the running back for a long time. So it was Dorsett yep. still on that team? It was Dorsett. He must have, I have nothing in that game. I know. I have a D and a scratch out because I didn't even want to disrespect him by thinking that he was still there. I, so I didn't and even know. He did. I think he scored. I was looking at the box score, too. I think he might have scored, too, but it Are was you not. Sure uh, Dwight yeah. Clark is a tight end, too. I think he's a receiver. No, nah, he's a tight end. I called him a tight end. He wore 87. Yeah, Oh no! You know, I'm trying to think who their their receivers would have been. uh, Their receivers would have been Jerry Rice and and, uh, John. uh, What was his name? Anyway, all right, give yourself ten points for those questions. Wait, hold on. So Pierre, who was the cornerback? Was it Walls? Oh, Everson Walls. That was Everson Walls. I remember I was watching the game with my dad, and Everson Walls was like kind of our good cornerback. And I yep. saw him pissed off because, like, he didn't. He's kind of put his arm up. He just put his arm yeah, up. Yeah, he didn't even go Clark up. Just jumped up and picked it out of the sky. And I'm like, jump, yep. Everson, jump. I mean, in his defense, that ball was almost uncatchable. Oh, I thought I everybody mean, the guy had to really him reach the up third again. Row of the stands. Yeah. So all right. Well, put there. I, I think I did bad on the bonuses uh, all around. So. There you go. Well, we're you know, honesty is really a, a good policy here. And we also, if I haven't told you already, unlike. Scarpello family board games cheating is really discouraged in this game. So don't look up any of the answers. Don't have the Dallas Cowboys almanac on your desk. Don't open that up. Okay, number two, 2006 NFC Wild Card game. So again, yeah, watching the Dallas, they were dominant in the 70s. Pierre had a real drought of such in the 80s. Well, drought, you, you remember, they went to three consecutive NFC championship games and lost them all. Each yeah, time, but they were, I mean, right. But then they went a long time before those da- before winning again, in the, I guess, in the early 90s. Right. Because that was the end of the, like, Landry. Landry had kind of lost it by then. 
Right. And and then they go they, another kind of stretch where they're really crappy until until this time, really, until they get back again. Then they hired they hired uh, Parcells, right? Who right. Was the coach before Parcells. Uh, they had Between a Switzer, it was it Switzer? Well, the Switzer was at immediately after Johnson, and yeah. Switzer won the Super Bowl in '95, which showed you how right. good that roster was. Where you could have, right. I could have coached that team to a Super Bowl. Probably he didn't know what he was doing. Then after <laughs> Switzer, then it was a series of guys like Dave Campo and right. like bad defensive coordinators that got, and they finally. And then Jerry finally They had enough, and they hired Parcells. And they yeah. hired Parcells, and Parcells turned them into a decent, you know, playoff team where we had the guy. We had some crappy quarterback. I can't remember his name. Uh, Quincy, Quincy, uh, Quincy somebody. Quincy somebody. Oh, yeah, Quincy. Um, oh, what was oh, Quincy yeah. Adams, but he's a president. <laughs> right. Campbell? Not Quincy Camp? No, I know who you're talking not about. Jones. Not Quincy Jones. Not Quincy either. Jones either. It's, it's another Quincy. One of the main, <laughs> many famous Quincy. Not the corner. Oh, oh that'll come yeah. to me. All right, I'll look that up after we All reveal right. this. Number two, 2006 NFC wildcard game that Dallas is now back in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Trailing 21-20, Cowboys lined up. Who botched the hold? Pierre, you know who botched the uh, hold. One, one of the great quarterbacks of all time that doesn't get his fair fair due is Tony Romo. <laughs> Tony Romo. And, and the backstory is, is that they used a different football for field goals back then, and they were slippery. They weren't roughed up. And because of that game, they changed the rule. Was he the, usual, was he the regular holder? He was the regular holder. Yeah. He was yeah. the regular that, holder. That year he was. I remember him trying to scramble and get in. And he almost, <laughs> he almost got in. Right? He went around the end, and I ever, like, you were like, he's getting in the end zone. We're going to win the game. He almost he did. At, like the one-yard line. Yeah. I was. Uh, I had. I had people over, and you know, we're lining up, and uh, this is it. This is going to be. You know, we're going to move right. on. Yeah, and, a playoff uh, game. And, and and he botched it, and everybody no, you know, and I was the only one that was a Cowboy fan in my house, and, <laughs> and I kicked everybody out, and everybody thought I was kidding at first. I was like, no, you got to like get out. Everybody get out. Yeah. No, that's under that. I understand a hundred percent. Hundred percent. That's a gut punch if ever there was one. All right, so you guys got Romo. Who was the kicker, Riley Ross? Never got a chance. I don't think I'm right, but I said Cundiff. Oh, that's a good one. It was not Billy Cundiff. That's too old. What if I told you his nickname was Automatica? Martin Grammatica? Martin Grammatica. Isn't that the guy who pulled a hamstring celebrating a kick? (laughs) Yes, he did. Oh, I don't remember him because of fantasy football. I wouldn't remember any of these kickers if it wasn't fantasy football. I can't believe we had Martin. I was assured that we were going to win that game. Yeah, well, that one that one got away. So give yourself 10 points for every correct answer. Now, question three, 2007. This is the divisional round the following year. They lose to the Giants at home. Ugh. Who? Does the aforementioned holder go to Cabo San Lucas with Riley Ross? Jessica Simpson. That is correct. Hot Jessica Simpson at the time. Yeah. Wearing her ass. He got a lot of flack for that, but she was in her prime. shape Jessica Simpson. Like, she was shooting Dukes of Hazard. Like, you can't ask for that. I remember her her with her pink Dallas Cowboy hat sitting up in the box. 
Yeah. And yeah. he went with Jason Witten. Jason Witten was yeah. on that trip too because they were buddies. They he never lived that down because then they you know of course but that was a giant Super Bowl year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was when they had the crazy catch, and they won those three games on the road, and that was yeah. one of them. Uh, bonus question, who was Dallas's coach that year? It, I guess, guess I could give you a, a hint. It was not the same coach as 2006. It was uh, Wade Phillips. That is correct. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I, 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 I was off on that. I, 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 was like, I was like, is that that kind of round guy? Who was it? I said Campo. <laughs> <laughs> Big fat the kind guy. of round guy. We would have, <laughs> yeah. we would have accepted Wait, that so. maybe. Good job, Pierre. Okay, question number four I'm in nineteen eighty one. Yeah, that's right. Right. <laughs> this was one of my early uh, um, sports memories: the Eagles defeating the Cowboys. I remember it being on television. It was a two o'clock game. I remember. I looked up the box score, which was unusual. Wow. It must have been the afternoon. Who broke off a 42-yard touchdown run? Pierre, I, if anybody's going to get this, uh, it's Wilbur it Montgomery. not a Philadelphia. Wilbur Montgomery. Oh. Stupid Wilbur wow. Montgomery. Breaking through the line, and he's in the open, right? Number 31, Wilbert Montgomery is correct. And I still right. remember to this day, like, it felt like the game was over, right? Like, it felt like that, like, it took all, like, the Cowboys were just, like, done. Just uh, never like in the game after that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. They, they, that was the that was the Eagles Super Bowl. They played real well there. They dominated that game right. in the cold, and then they went and laid one of the and biggest. And then you eggs. lost to the shitty Oakland Raiders yeah. and Jim Plunkett. Congratulations, <laughs> Jim Plunkett. Yeah. <laughs> Bonus, Riley Ross. You didn't get Wilbert. Who was the quarterback of your Philadelphia Eagles back then? Jaws. That Ron is Gordon. correct. The Polish rod. That's right. The Polish <laughs> rifle. Nine for twenty-nine. I thought he led the league, and I thought he led the NFC. I thought he was like the top-rated passer that year too. What? Well, he only threw for ninety-one yards in the title game. <laughs> two ints, and then he threw three picks in the Super Bowl. Two that were returned for touchdowns. Right? Yeah, not not exactly Nick Foles esque. Yeah. Wilbert Montgomery, by contrast, ran for 194 yards and uh, oh. two touchdowns. The Eagles had 200. No, I'm sorry, one touchdown. The Eagles had 254 yards on the ground that day. Wow. Mm. All right, so we are we're we're now up to question five. But before we get there, um, Riley, what is your total point total? I hate to make people do math. I only have 10, 10 bonus too, right? So I only yes. have 40. I only have 40 points. I got no. Bo- I only got one bonus point, and I got the three questions, three out of the four right. Okay, Pierre, what do you have? I have seventy points, as I got every oh. question right, and the only bonus I missed was the stupid Martin Grammatica kicker question. All right, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> All right, for this final quizzo question. In 1967, during the famous Ice Bowl game, Dallas took a 17-14 lead over Green Bay when Larry Rensel caught a 50-yard touchdown pass from this Dallas Cowboys 
running back. In the ice bowl game? Special music. Hold on. <laughs> that's, that's, not the right, that's not the right music. <laughs> this is the special music for our special guest, even though he has renounced his Dallas Cowboys fighting work. I'll take it. I'll take it. Nice. I think a nice fight song says a lot about the people and the team. I love a fight song that ends with spelling out the name of a team, too. All right. Well, that's the only way Eagles fan could spell the team name, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I gave you that softball. This has been an entire quizzo of Dallas Cowboy playoff losses. Yeah. Including the famous Ice Bowl in 1967. Let's go to... Riley Ross, who was trailing, who delivered the game winning, I'm sorry, the 50-yard touchdown pass that put Dallas ahead. What Dallas Cowboys running back through that pass to Larry Rensel, Riley Ross? I'm going to say the often underrated Harry Scarpello. (laughs) (laughs) Harry Scarpello, Alex. Harry Scarpello is not correct. Let's go to Pierre Latour for the steal. If not, I may just go to, to I may just give a, a hint or two that may get it. Pierre, do you have do you know who that running back was? Um my guess, so I have no idea. So I went I just thought of trying to think of like nineteen sixty seven Cowboys. So my guess was Grant Hill's father, Drew Hill. That is incorrect. It is not Drew Hill. All right. I am That's... going to give you one more. We're gonna, we've never done this before. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to give you one more hint, and then count silently to silently to myself about ten questions, ten seconds. And you can shout out or raise your hand if you know based on the hint. Do you guys agree to that? Sure. All right. right. This running back, former Dallas Cowboys running back that played in the Ice Bowl, also coached professionally in the NFL for three different NFL teams. One in the AFC West, one in the NFC East, and one in the NFC South. Coached a long time in the league. And he was a running back. Dude, let me see. I'll play the fight song again. I'll just do the, 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 the I'll just hum the Jeopardy song. This has really been a great match. I'm not sure anybody's going to get this one, but you guys are going to kick yourselves because you know who this guy is. He never won at all, but he played with one of the greatest. He coached one of the greatest um, quarterbacks of all time, Hall of Famer, in his AFC West stop. He did not win it with them. He then went to the NFC East, 
and he finished his career in the, A- in the NFC South. Oh, yeah, Dan Reeves. It is Dan Reeves, it is, Reeves is correct. Oh, that's good. You know why? Because I was thinking yeah, the Redskins. I mean, this is not really uh, like an in sync with the topic, but when you say running back, I'm like black guy. <laughs> Wait a minute. We're gonna have to. Not, not a running back. Well, yeah, there you have it. We've learned a lot here, or maybe we haven't. Who knows? We're back to square one. I've set everything back now. Would you ask me about the change? I, I meant to say sensitivity training. <laughs> Did that include I'm that? Being honest. Just being honest. <laughs> Well, oh. Riley Ross, thanks again. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. It's been so much fun. This is great. Um, if you need an excellent attorney and Scarpell and Latour can't help you, certainly we represent. We would recommend Riley and uh, his partners over there at Mincy Fitzpatrick you. Ross. But Riley Ross, thanks for joining us here on Justice for All. Hey, I appreciate. Can I say this, man? The um, you know, the, it was a heavy topic. Uh, but the, the quizzo and letting thing is off on a, on a laughing matter is important because, you know, the work that we do, the civil rights work that we do, we've got we to gotta have the ability to laugh and to, you know, to, to let loose because we need it. We, our clients need our energy, and, and we, can't, we can't do this work day in and day out if we, don't, if we don't have a way to kind of, you know, decompress and laugh, and it's important. So for anyone who thinks that following up that discussion with quizzo is, is, is in bad taste and I tell you, you got to you got to be able to, to. If you're going to keep on doing this stuff, you got to be able to laugh, and uh, you guys are great to laugh with. So I appreciate being here. Thanks a lot. You're very welcome, Riley. Hey, it's a, it's thanks for coming pleasure. on, Riley. Thank all you, right. guys. We'll see you next time for Justice for All. Signing off. Justice for All has been brought to you by the law offices of Scarpello and Latour. Our attorneys are available 24 hours a day seven days a week. Call us today at 215-732-0460 or visit us on the web at www.phillybestdefense.com.